Let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 7 uh, to 12. This is the Word of the Lord. It is eternally true. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of the prophet sent to rebuke your people at a specific time, but also recorded to rebuke and correct and train us in righteousness through all the ages of your church. Father, we pray that your spirit would be active and convict us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So last Sunday we ended with verse 7, which makes a uh, statement about the people turning aside from God's statutes. Then this remarkable statement from a holy God to a rebellious people, return to me and I will return to you. That, in a nutshell, is the grace of God, the graciousness of God. In, In the face of rebellion, He remains faithful to His covenant promises. He does not lie. And so when he says, return to me and I will return to you, he's being faithful to his promises. Then the people respond with another one of those cynical questions. How shall we return? How shall we return, says the people. And God responds, here's an idea. Stop robbing me. Stop robbing me. Literally, stop plundering or defrauding or taking forcibly from me. The people, again, incredulous, unwilling to believe what what is said, and self-righteous respond again with a question, how have we robbed you? How have we robbed you? The answer, very short answer from the Lord in tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. Remember Malachi is prophesying just before Nehemiah came to uh, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. One of the reforms that Nehemiah put in place was to reestablish the tithe, right, which had fallen off. Here's what we read in Nehemiah. This is Nehemiah 10 at verse 34. Likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites, and the people, so that they might bring it to the house of our God, According to our father's households at fixed times annually, 
to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law, and that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually, and bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks as it is written in the law, for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. We will also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine and the oil to the priests at the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites. For the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. So the people of God had left off this duty of tithing, and the prophet describes it in a very striking way as robbing God. So what was tithing? What was required in the law, and what was the tithe meant to do? The first we hear of the tithe is with Abram. Abram gives a tithe, 10%, of his wealth to Melchizedek, right? Genesis 14, 19 through 20, we read this. Then after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer uh, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. Right? So here's a priest of God Most High, and Abram is giving to him a tenth of his wealth. And of course, that's mentioned as a tithe in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 as well. Then the next mention of tithing, is with Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Also, he promised to give a tenth to God if God would bless him. In Genesis 28, we read this. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and we're going to be going through a lot of different verses this morning. This is Genesis 28 at verse 18. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So here's Jacob making this vow that if God cares for him, if God blesses him, if God gives him safety, then he will give a tenth of all to him, to God. Notice what Jacob vows there. Of all that you give me, I surely will give you a tenth. What we learn there is that everything that he has is from God, right? Everything that he has is from God. It's God's. Of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. And so there's this general principle that comes from that statement. You are not permitted to keep for yourselves that which does not belong to you. Right? I mean, that's a gen in general, we would always say that. What is not yours, you don't get to keep. <laughs> and that is the case with all that God has given to us. It's His. 
It's His. What you have belongs to God, and He has certain stipulations for what we are to do with that wealth. At least He does for those who fear Him. Turning to the law of Moses, we learn this about tithes and offerings and their official requirement in Israel. Leviticus 27.30 says, "Thus Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, and of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Then in the book of Numbers, we learn that the tithe was meant to be the inheritance of the tribe of Levi, since they, they didn't get any land, right? Levi, the tribe, didn't get any land, and so their inheritance was going to be the tithe that came in for them. Um, all the other tribes received land, they did not. And as you know, the Levites did what? What was their task? They were to care for the tabernacle. They were to lead the temple um, sacrifices along with the priests, right? They were to do the work of the temple. Numbers 18 says this, To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance. In return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, or they will bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe, which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. So the Levites, even though they were receiving the tithe, were to tithe as well. Then in Deuteronomy, just before the people enter the promised land, Moses tells them this, But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your land, your votive offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And so notice there that there are requirements that go beyond the tithe, which was to go to the Levites. There were burnt offerings, there were sacrifices, there were contributions of your land, there were, um, notice there were free will offerings and the redemption of the firstborn animals was also to be done through their offering. Here's another use for the tithes that is outlined in the law beyond that which was to supply the needs of the Levites who themselves were to tithe on their tithe. Deuteronomy 14.28, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out, of, out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So in other words, the poor were to be supplied out of the tithes of Israel. Aliens, orphans, widows, strangers, right? Immigrants, orphans, and widows were to be supported by the tithe at the end of every third year. So, so far we've seen that the 
the tithe was meant to support the Levites and the poor. Later, during King Hezekiah's reforms, the practice of giving tithes was restored after it had been left off by the people. And so the people keep, you know, there has to be continual reform. They, give, they leave off the Passover for a long time. They leave off giving tithes and supporting the work of the temple. And then they're reformed. So during Hezekiah's reign, it says this, He commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites, that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order spread, the sons of Israel provided in abundance the first fruits of grain, of new wine, oil, honey, and of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of all. Right? So the tithe is not just you know, coins and, and, and money. It's also the grains and the new wine and the oil and the honey products that was... Um, part of their wealth. Then we could go to the book of Proverbs and there there are many Proverbs about the necessity of being generous and and giving. Here's one. Um, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There we see Faithfulness to God with your wealth has promises attached to it. And our passage in Malachi seems to go in the same direction. Bring in the whole tithe and you'll see that your vats are overflowing. Now what does the New Testament say about the practice of tithing? Was it it just for the nation Israel and not for the church, right? Is this an Old Testament thing attached to the the, um, the laws that were specifically for Israel, or does it carry beyond that? Does the command carry through? Um, what are we to say about that? Well, our Lord assumes we will be giving to the poor. Right? Matthew 6, 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor... When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus, in a sense, also commends the Pharisees for tithing mint, dill, and cumin, but not in the fact that they only do that so that they can neglect the weightier matters of the law. In Luke it says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Right? You should have done the weightier matters of law without neglecting the lighter matters. So Jesus also elsewhere gives commands sacrificial giving or giving even in our lack rather than out of just our surplus. Right? Mark 12 says, and he sat down opposite the treasury. Interesting place for all of this to take place. He's, he's sitting down opposite the treasury where in the temple they would have brought the wealth of Israel and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. 
Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Right? And as with anything good, as with anything good, tithing can become a matter of boasting as well. It can become bad. Right? Luke 18, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Do you remember what the Pharisee boasts in? The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you can see that even tithing can become a matter of of boasting before others. I think that's why... um, why Jesus commends not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing and giving in secret. Then, though the tithe is not mentioned, the duty of giving generously is commanded in the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We read this, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. So they, the, the saints in Macedonia really wanted to help with the saints in Jerusalem in this offering that was being taken up by Paul. And then in the same letter, there's this, chapter 9. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And then, one more verse. In 1 Timothy 6, we read these exhortations of those who have wealth to the rich. Instruct those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, 
storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. All right. So do you and I have to tithe on this side of the cross? Well, my answer is yes and no. Right? There's no command reiterating the tithe for the New Testament church, but how can we ignore what God teaches us from the law and the general equity of the law having an application to the church? Right? What does the law teach us, all of which is emphasized, re-emphasized in the New Testament? One, everything you have is God's. Two, you are to be faithful with what God has given you. Three, being faithful means two things at least, giving to the full-time church workers, the Levites, and giving to the poor. Four, give even from your lack, not merely from your surplus. And five, as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Right? So all those are principles that we see reiterated in the New Testament. What did the early church do? The early church, as we know from the Didache, which was written late, first century, early second century, it has much in it about giving, about tithing. And the emphasis is on being faithful with what God has supplied, giving toward those who labor for you in the gospel and giving toward the poor. Here's what it says, My child, thou shalt remember day and night him who speaks the word of God to you, and you shall honor him as the Lord. For where the Lord's nature is spoken of, there is he present. And thou shalt seek daily the presence of the saints, that thou mayst find rest in their words. Thou shalt not desire a schism, but shalt reconcile those that strive. Thou shalt give righteous judgment. Thou shalt favor no man's person in reproving transgression. Thou shalt not be of two minds, whether it shall be or not. Be not one who stretches out his hands to receive, but shuts them when it comes to giving. Of whatsoever thou hast gained by thy hands... Thou shalt give a ransom for thy sins. Thou shalt not hesitate to give, nor shalt thou grumble when thou givest, for thou shalt know who is the good paymaster of the reward. Thou shalt not turn away the needy, but shalt shalt share everything with thy brother, and shalt not say it is thine own. For if you are sharers in the imperishable, how much more in the things which perish? Right, so there's, there's the attitude that the early church had toward giving. They encouraged this, this sharing and giving and recognizing that everything you have is not your own. So it appears that the early church continued to practice this. Um, was it 10%? Well, it was probably more. Right? 10% was the least that Israel was to give. That was the tithe requirement, not to mention the free will offerings and the sacrifices and the and the giving of, of um, the ransom toward the firstborn. So 10% was the least that Israel was, was to give with free will offerings going beyond that. John Piper, a man that I respect when it comes to money, describes his giving this way. I find this very helpful. I put protections in place against bigger barns, and I turn the prosperity of my fields into blessings for others. And he goes on to describe how he does that. This is one that is maybe least like your situation, but let me describe what I do and you can apply the principle. First, I surrender all the copyrights and all the royalties to my books. And I have, from the beginning, 
I surrender them to the Desiring God Foundation knowing I'd be a millionaire if I didn't. I am scared out of my wits at being a millionaire. That's a weakness. Some people can handle it. I don't have that gift. I chew a whole pack of gum immediately. Why wouldn't you? The foundation has a board and it keeps $10,000 in the bank and has one meeting a year and we give everything away and we love it. And all of it goes to Desiring God in Bethlehem, except that's the church where he was pastor, except little tiny exceptions for other things in the church. Second, I surrender all my honorariums. I didn't do this back in the early days. If somebody gave me $100 for doing a wedding or a funeral, I'd take Noel out to dinner. That's his wife. But this church pays me enough to take Noel out to dinner every day. So one of the ways I protect myself is, whether it's thousands of dollars because of some big speaking engagement, or $100 because of a wedding or a funeral or something like that, I'm just writing it off to the church. To save tax money, I ask the ministries to not write the check to me. I can save the church a lot of money that way. Third, Noel and I regularly go into our electronic giving and adjust it up, both in terms of amount and in terms of percentage, year in and year out. We haven't always done that, but regularly we've done it. If you were to ask me, how much do you teach your children to give to the church? I would say start with the Old Testament standard of the tithe and build on that. Frankly, I find it hard to comprehend that a child of the living God, after the glories of the cross, would regularly give to the church less than the standard of the Old Testament. I find it incomprehensible. But of course, you grew up in homes where nobody ever told you such a thing. You never formed that habit. I did, and this is no big deal to me, right? So his parents pushed him to tithe um, on his income even as a child. Now, returning back to our passage, notice that two points are made very clearly. The first is that Israel is not tithing and was plundering God in not tithing. In other words, God had supplied them with everything they had and they were to give 10% at least to the Levites and priests, those who were spiritually feeding them. In neglecting to be generous toward those leaders, they were essentially starving themselves of God's blessings through the sacrifices and the teaching of the word. So it is today as if we are not generous toward God by, being, um, by not being generous toward those he's raised up to labor among us, right? This is the Apostle Paul's point when he states that a worker is worthy of his wages, and you don't muzzle an ox while he is threshing. I always like being compared to a cow, right? But the point here is that this should be seen as robbing God, as plundering God. When we do not give generously from what God has given us, we're saying that which does not belong to us actually belongs to us. And that is the wrong view. All the earth and all its people are the Lord's, right? Do you really think... He allows you to claim a molecule of what is his for your own, let alone your entire income, your possessions, and your time, etc. Second, notice what our passage goes on to say. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. 
If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine and the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So God tells his people Israel to test him. To test him. Bring in the whole tithe and see what happens. And at this point, we have a tendency to think that the blessing he's talking about here is more money. If you bring in the tithe, he's going to bless you with more money. But what what if it means this? As you give to God's workers, they will give you the blessing of spiritual feeding, of discipling you, of holding you accountable, of being able to give themselves fully to the ministry of the Lord. Of course, this, this passage and others does go on to talk about God blessing the fields with supernatural pesticides and vines that do not cast their grapes and the land being a very fruitful and delightful land. But couldn't all of that be because of the faithful work of the people who have been blessed by the teachings of God's word and the sacrifices and who being spiritually fed are inspired to work those fields and vineyards by faith, right? I think so. When we are spiritually well-fed, we are more productive in every area of our lives, right? But, but we can also tie this to material wealth, I think. Too often we spiritualize text because we have a strange way of divorcing the physical and the spiritual today. So many New Testament texts that I already read, tie together generosity with increased material wealth, right? Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. The Apostle Paul wrote, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right? There seems to be some, some correspondence between our generosity and our receiving back. God, in other words, is watching what you do with his wealth. He's watching. Are you generous toward his work, his church, his means of supplying and displaying the glory of his son in the world? Are you generous toward the poor? Are you honoring those who honor God with their wealth? Right? So... So some applications, a number of applications here at the end. One, teach your children and yourself that all that you receive comes from God. Teach yourself that. Right? All you have comes from God. Have your children tithe on every birthday present of cash they receive. Right? Everything they receive, even if it's a gift, not from work. Get them into the habit of tithing and then push them Further into generosity, honoring what they have as God's, um, giving more than a tithe. Second, tithe at the beginning of the month, come what may. Right, tithe at the beginning of the month. Third, before asking the deacons to help you, they have been instructed by the session to inquire into whether or not you are tithing. Now, it seems strange, doesn't it? The deacons. Um, it seems strange that we would uh, ask somebody who needs money if they're giving money away. 
right? But, but the point of it is this. The deacons don't want to bless those whom God is cursing. The deacons do not want to bless those whom God is cursing for not bringing in the tithe, right? I know this is counterintuitive, but the point is this. Why would we bless with money those who with their money are robbing God? It does not make sense. Fourth, live in such a way that you can tithe. You know, some people live beyond their means, and that's, they, they, they then say, well, I can't afford to tithe, right? So we have to live with what the Lord has given to us, and that's very difficult for 21st century Americans to do. Fifth, increase your giving every year beyond the tithe. Start with the tithe because that's obedience, and go beyond that tithe because that's obedience too. Sixth, as it was in the Old Testament, commanded support of the Levites and aliens, orphans, and widows. I think a good pattern is to give 10% to the church and free will offerings beyond the tithe to the Deacon's Benevolence Fund and the Missions Fund, things that go beyond the work of the church. This would be to support, in a sense, the Levites and priests and then the poor. Seventh, be circumspect with your money as John Piper seems to be, right? Put safeguards in place. Anticipate the potential destructiveness that comes with sudden influxes of wealth, right? And remember that 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 influx is from God and is meant to be a stewardship from him. Eighth, if you are not giving generously, at least tithing, bring yourself to conviction, by meditating on those few words in verse 8, will a man rob God? And that's, that's convicting, isn't it? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Nine, given the construction we've recently done and some losses in our membership, giving right now is important in the church. Right? We have the lowest general fund balance I've known since I've been here. Right, so please give, be generous toward God and help your church. Right, let's be generous. And 10, seek God's spiritual and physical blessings by giving generously. Seek them. Test Him and see. Right, that's what this passage says. It says, test Him and see. That's mind-boggling. We're often told not to test God, right? And here God is saying, test me. Test me. Bring in the whole tithe and see if you are not blessed. Blessed spiritually, but even blessed beyond that too physically. So the tithe and offerings. I don't often preach on tithes and offerings, so I just let it all spill out there. Right? Tithes and offerings are important. It's obedience to the Lord, and it's, it's the way that we show our priorities in this life, what we do with our money. Right? That's how we show our priorities. Let's pray and ask God to help us.